0: While I was worshipping, I saw a vision of, uh, you know, the toboggans, is that what you call them? With the half pipe of ice, and, is that what you call it? Cool runnings. Not Not really into my winter Olympics, not really been watching much of, of Sochi, but I'm ever more convinced a, as a Christian believer of the need to lay back and let Jesus do what only he can do. You know, we try to build the church, that's what you're doing here, you're hungering after growth of this church and churches beyond that, and I don't, Just interject into that, the need for you to believe for more churches. I was praying for you guys and just getting to head this concept of two churches. I believe that's coming for you. I also believe in the distant future, this will be a flagship church. That's something that Jesus laid on my heart. Back to the cool run-ins. I knew a guy once who was a Catholic monk. He married a Catholic nun. Go figure! They're not allowed to do that. They left the ministries, got married, got all Pentecostal, full of the Holy Spirit, and very, very prophetic man. And and, uh, came to my dad's church, sort of prophetic person that can read your mail. And uh, he started to preach, and he said, uh, "He was Irish. Forgive me if it sounds Jamaican." He said, (laughs) "I'm under pressure to do Irish now." Said um, he says. (laughs) says i'm never going to do another thing for god and i was like a young teenage christian passionate about you you're never going to do another thing for god and I left this pregnant boy. never going to do another thing for god but i'm going to allow god to do everything through me you see the yielded christian is the one who lives out the kingdom the one who lets jesus come through their life is the one that impacts the world around them. So much burnout in the church, so much striving, so much trying to become someone when Jesus wants to refresh the world through us. We're only a a vessel. 2 Corinthians 4 says, He puts His treasure, I love that word, In jars of clay, so the excellence of the power might be from God and not from people. You see, it's obvious from Scripture that God uses broken people. Are you encouraged by that? Are you encouraged that everyone qualifies? He uses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Not many were wise, not many were noble. But God uses the weak things of this world because in that vessel, God is most seen. The the light shines through the broken vessel through the cracks. Stop trying to become someone you already are someone if you're a follower of Jesus. You're a child of God. The Bible says in Galatians, you're all children of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. That is it. That's all you need to do. You don't need to strive to become someone you are someone. And you sit in that beautiful privilege of being a child of God through your faith in Jesus. And you let him live through you. That's why the true definition of a Christian is somebody who has laid their life down. I get tired as an evangelist, and that's my heart. I'm passionate for souls. Uh, this scenario where we invite Jesus into our heart as though we're the center of the universe. Come into my heart. Well, he does. And that's a strange phenomenon. But the truth is, We yield our lives to him. We give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says as Christ was buried in baptism into death, even so we were buried with him, Romans 6. In that same way, we lay down our life with him so that as Christ was raised from the dead, in Paul's language, even so we should walk in a newness of life. That newness of life is Christ's yieldedness. It's where God centers himself in us and breaks out through us. I'll get to Mark, trust me. (laughs) But in truth, that's what this passage is about. We read the surface of parables, and we see in the parables a a surface message. But actually, the center of this parable in our Meet the King series is the concept of the kingdom. Without wanting to get tricky with you, I'm just going to put it out there. The kingdom is where the presence of God is. And I'll prove that from Scripture, not from my cleverness. The presence of God is where the presence of Jesus is. Wherever the king is, that is his dominion. <laughs> if his presence is there, he's reigning. Are the demons going to argue with that? Are we going to argue with that? Are the principalities and powers of this world going to argue with that? Those that the psalmist talks about in our world, vain, plot vain things against the Lord and against Christ. He'll say, be still. It's not peace, by the way, this week. Be still and know that I'm God, warring world. When Jesus turns up to burn up, everything will be laid low because he is the Lord of all. And the, the psalmist said he will rule in the midst of his enemies. Wherever his presence is, he's the king. He's the Lord of lords. Let's look at Meet the King, Mark 4, 1 to 20. You know, Mark's gospel can be divided into three acts. There is the first act, which is Galilee; the second act, which is the journey to Jerusalem; and the third act, which is Jerusalem itself and the cross. Mark has been incredibly clever in the way he's constructed his gospel, because in the first and the last act, he's put what theologians call an "stay with me, don't get me, an explanatory discourse," which simply means he is explaining what is around that section so what precedes it what comes after it mark chapter 4 to verse 1 to 34 is the first act explanatory discourse it is the place where mark centers himself and says you know the stuff that's just happened in the first three chapters you know the stuff that's about to happen in the next three or four chapters this is why and the same goes for mark 13 3 to 37 explaining in the final act what is all this that's happening in the first explanatory discourse we have the paradox of the kingdom which is simply this why on earth do all the people that are witnessing the acts of jesus the words of jesus not turn to the one who is proclaiming good news i mean if it's good news for goodness sake why do the people not come to the messiah And in the last act, Jesus, in his explanatory discourse, in the last act in chapter 13, talks about the end of the age, the end of the old order. We might say that Mark points to the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Are you with me? This is not too heavy for you, is it? I'm hopefully explaining it clearly enough. It does get boring, some theology. So we have this first act that says... The kingdom is here, and some people will reject it. We have the last act where it says, and the kingdom will come as well. There's a now of the kingdom, and there's a not yet of a kingdom. There's a rule in the midst of your enemies, Jesus, and there's a time when it'll turn up to burn up, roll everything up, and his enemies will be laid low, and the kingdom of heaven will be fully established on earth and in heaven. Because if you think it's just pie in the sky when you die, the Bible's clear. It says that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. This is everything folks What we're looking at tonight is absolutely everything of Christianity It is where God is And where God is Everything comes into order Your life, your marriage, your family Your health Everything God will make everything right One day he will wipe every tear From your eyes The Bible says in one scripture He stored up every tear that you've shed in a bottle He cares about you as Matthew said, he knows your pain. He's not unfamiliar with your weakness. He has a plan for your life. God knows what you're going through right now. But one day he'll make everything right. And he wants you to take courage, as he said to Joshua. Be strong and very courageous, Joshua. Go and take the land. Because he's ruling in the midst of enemies. There are those, as we'll, as we'll find from our passage, who will be Christ rejecters. The now and the not yet of the kingdom. Well, we're going to look at the now in the context of Mark 4. So what has happened so far in your studies? The narrative or the story has described the initial proclamation of the kingdom of God and the varied responses which that proclamation has evoked. Responses have ranged from enthusiasm and commitment of the Twelve to the plot of the Pharisees and the Herodians to destroy Jesus And the ultimate blasphemy of the scribes from Jerusalem who attribute this new work of God to the devil. Do you remember that in chapter 3? By the prince of demons, he drives out demons, was the accusation. Jesus goes on, how can a house that's divided against itself stand? What are you talking about? Yes, where are we? In between all, all, that's the problem with iPads. Paper's great, you know what you're up to. I'm like, okay, scroll back. In between are all other levels of response. The scepticism of Jesus' family, the puzzlement of those who find Jesus' practice out of keeping with existing religious norms, the superficial, get that, that goes with the parable we're about to read, the superficial enthusiasm of those who crowd round in the hope of healing, the amazed recognition of Jesus' new kind of authority by those who have witnessed his healings and exorcisms, and the large and growing crowd do follow Jesus around for whatever motive. But his permanence as followers still remains to be tested. Yet all these are responses to the same message and the same acts of Jesus. How can people respond so differently? If the proclamation of the kingdom of God is good news, as I've just said, why is it not being universally embraced? If the demons have been right in recognizing Jesus as the Son of God in chapter 1, how can those who hold positions of authority, the scribes and the Pharisees, among the people of God not acknowledge him as such? And even worse, write him off as satanic. Well, as I've said, the passage we're about to look at explains that. It is an explanatory discourse. It talks about the response of the hearers. Shall we read together the first 20 verses out of 34? That's the section I've been given, that's all you're having. (laughs) So let's read it. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which is a fairly literal word for word translation. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in, in it on the sea. And the whole crowd is beside the sea on the land. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, and this is the crux. We're going to come back to 10 and 11 in a minute. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables and said to them, and he said to them, "To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." And he said to them, "Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who hear the word immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away or stumble. And others are the ones among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold. And a hundredfold. Come on, Jesus. Do what only you can do, Lord. You see, a preacher can't do anything without Christ. No no clever rhetoric, no intelligent argumentation. God, I'm wanting to burn into your heart and your life his individual specific life-changing message. I believe God can do that. It's amazing how many times I preach and somebody comes over to me and says, wow, I love that message on love and I was preaching on judgment. It's either really bad preaching or Jesus did something through the word. And quite often I'm pretty confident that God the Holy Spirit is able to take what I do and make it life to you. Do you believe that? He's a good God. He knows where you are tonight. He knows what you're going through. He knows those people who are distracted right now while I'm speaking. Confused at their situation. Broken over the hurt that they've received from other people. And the way that they've been rejected by others. He knows about your pain tonight. He can see it. And he loves you. So Lord, have your way in that person's life today. I want you to notice, particularly verse 11, this sort of transition... From the crowd communication to the close circle communication. He he moves into a crux. The essential part of this passage is not in Jesus' explanation of the sowing or the particular soils or the way Jesus interprets it, but the crowd assembled in each context. He wants to create a dichotomy, a separation. He's talking about them and us. He uses this phrase, to you has been given the privilege to know about this secret of the kingdom of God. And we can almost get lost in this mystery of the kingdom as it's literally written. Actually, it's not a mystery. It's just that the people closest to him will hear about the kingdom. Mysterious tabasias is mystery of the kingdom, but actually mystery clouds it. We think we need Sherlock to unlock it and unpack it. When in truth, the mystery is a secret in our language. That's the best way of saying it. And the reason the secrets of the kingdom are open to this crowd is because they were willing to pursue the Messiah to you, it says in another part of the gospel. Where can we go, Jesus, for you have the words of eternal life. We've left everything to follow you. And this is the scenario. Jesus says to you, those that are after me, those that see me, those that see these signs. You see, so many of them wanted a political bread messiah. Oh, Jesus, feed the 5,000 again. We've got hungry bellies. We don't want to go to Asda or whatever they did back then. I, sorry, I knew there was no Asda back then. But they wanted a political bread messiah. They wanted to make him great. They say, Jesus, wow, do, do one of your signs again. Do you remember that when Jesus had that phrase, do a sign to my belief. go on, do another Paul Daniel's trick. And Jesus said, No sign will be given you except for the sign of Jonah. Speaking of his own life in the belly of the whale, as it were, in the grave. Jesus wasn't some party trick. He wasn't some entertainer come to the kids' party to entertain the crowds, but many of him treated him with that superficial behavior. Because actually, in the context of this passage, Jesus, as I've said before, is explaining why not everyone comes to him in the sense of good news. And he uses three illustrations of poor situations and one illustration of, quote-unquote, that's very American, isn't it, good soil. And every one of us are reading this thinking, I hope I'm good soil, Jesus. I'm hoping that I don't have thorns that choke up your seed and your word. I hope there's no rocks in my patch. When actually I think that clouds what Christ is trying to present here. Here's is, he is in Mark's words explaining that some will reject. And the point of rejection is at the point of pursuit. We go after what we love. We go after what we desire. We give time for what we value. You see, that's why many of you are here today. You hunger and you thirst after God and his kingdom in Chester. Matthew 6.33 might be a watchword. Seek ye first the kingdom. And his righteousness. These are the true disciples of Jesus. Jesus wants to point to the pharisaical birds that are satanically driven that attack his ministry. Huh. You call yourself the son of God. It's the breath of Satan through the religious elite. And then you have the rest of the crowd. Oh, heal my body, feed my tummy. This is great. God wants to do that. All these things will be added to you if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. But let's not make it about party trick Messiah. We want to know you, Lord, and make you known. What is the chief end of man, the Westminster Confession says? Amen! Shout it out, Mark. To glorify God and enjoy Him. Forever. I love that last phrase. Is it twelfth century, thirteenth century? To enjoy God and glorify him, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When was the last time church was about enjoying Jesus? When was the last time you assembled with other believers and put down your prejudice against one another, your criticism of high or low, your perceptions think that person is, and remembered your Savior? Remembered how great the Lord is. You know, we live in a universe on a macro level, on a micro level. God is great. We say, our Father, who art in heaven, very pious, isn't it? Holy is your name. What does that mean? In the, in the Hebrew, the name of God is the strength of who their person is. The weight, the chavod, the glory. When Moses said, I want to know you, show me your glory. God said, I'll pay, I'll make all my goodness pass before you in Exodus 33. I'll show myself. Lord com- gracious, compassionate, full of mercy. He, he trailed past him in a blaze of glory. I'm not singing a Bon Jovi track. He, he, he came past him. <laughs> something else. <laughs> you laughing church. all right. God loves us. <laughs> and he showed his way. Think about it. The Hubble telescope can see pretty far. It sees something like 12 billion times 6 trillion light years away. 72 with 21 knots on the end. That is massive. You, you cannot comprehend that physical space. But God is there. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. But if I ascend to the heights, you are there. Where can I go from your spirit? The next nearest star to us is 93 million miles away. If we travelled in a plane at 500 miles an hour, you get there in 21 years. It'd take the rest of your life to drive there in a car. The star after that, 4.3 light years away. Light travels at a speed of, get this, 330,000 miles per second. Take, light year is how long light travels in a year. It's 4.3 light years away. There are stars just in our galaxy which are millions of light years away. And our galaxy is one amongst millions of galaxies in a universe that is incomprehensible, that we break it down to a micro level. Has anyone studied biology? The Krebs cycle of energy production in, in, in the mitochondria of the, of, the, of the cells, the oxidative phosphorylation where energy is released. You go down and, down and down and down and down and down and down and you keep breaking down to subatomic level and you've got this planetary system ordered, orbiting, moving. How? I don't know. Neither do they. But God does. And the Bible says in Colossians, in him, all things hold together because God is great. We say, our Father, holy is your name. Who knows the name of God? No wonder God had, in, had to put loads of labels on himself. Yeah, I'm Yad He I'm Yahweh the healer, I'm Yahweh your banner, I'm Yahweh your righteousness, I'm Yahweh your all-sufficient God. You can't outlabel God because he can't be labeled. You might just want to whack one on him that says limitless. And we pray to this God piously and think that he doesn't care. He's everywhere. He's all over you. He's got a plan for your life. He knows the end from the beginning. I think some of us think we're the, the omega and he's the alpha. He starts us off on a journey and we try and finish it. It's this way God, follow me, come on, get on board. No, he's the alpha, he's the omega. He's the only one who is able to, to finish what he started in you and he promises to do that. The Bible says he's able to bring to completion and present us faultless before the throne of God. He is able to save you. He is able to keep you safe. He is able to deliver you. God alone can do what you can't. So why are we not in the lunge position or the luge position or on the toboggan? Why are we not laid back and saying, God, will you make your name known in our day? Lord, I've heard of your works. I stand in awe of your deeds, the scripture says. Lord, renew them in our day. In our day, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God, have mercy on Chester. Walk the streets around Chester and expect God to answer your prayers. You are not limited because of your performance. Thank God that it's not about what we do, but about what he did. It's a finished work of the cross. When Jesus died, he said, Tetelestai, which means it's utterly complete. It's perfectly perfect. Jesus, when he died on the cross after that huge butchery, paid for your sins, past, present, and future. And some theologians are raging against that, but I don't have any problem with amazing grace. How sweet a sound that saved a wretch like me. I stand secure, not because I'm good, but because he's good and he's great and he's able to save me. This is why the secret of the kingdom was hidden from the crowd that assembled around him. They didn't pursue him. How does the Lord's Prayer continue? Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Do you, what are you teaching us here, Jesus? You're asking us for heaven to break loose on the earth? Yes. And how many times have we prayed that church, Sunday school prayer and not, not expected a Holy Ghost breakout? How many times do we come to church with an expectation level that is this high because we look around the room and see who's here? Is he in the building? Is she in the building? Oh, look, we've got one less this week. We might not be praying hard enough. God alone builds his church, folks. Jesus said, I'll build my church. That takes the pressure off. He said, You go and make disciples, make them authentic. Live in all your weakness, in all your brokenness, with the masks off. Man, I hate Sunday church masks. I'm fine, brother, sister. What, you're frantic, insecure, neurotic, and excitable? <laughs> Mask. I'm fine, brother. I'm not going to tell you. Just judge me. You don't really love me. don't really care. No, some people don't. But there will be people in our church that do. And when we learn to be discerning and to find our people around us who can be discipling with us, grow in Christ. That's why Wesley was the most successful church leader ever. When he died, he left a church of 100,000 people. That's pretty big. I could live with that. But he also left the world with six silver spoons, a Geneva gown, a faded cloak, and the, what else was it? Oh, the Methodist church. <laughs> oh, four pound notes for the poor men that had to bury him. You know, he could have been the richest equivalent of a tele-evangelist the world ever known, but he created hymn books. He sowed his wealth into the kingdom because he'd heard Jesus' words resonating in his heart that said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt, where thieves do not break in and steal because that's where the glory is. But this is the God who says, as it is in heaven, so also on earth. I read, and I love the song that backed it today, Isaiah 6, verse 3, that says about the angels that Isaiah, on the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And what were the angels saying to this amazing God, this great I am? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is what? The whole earth is full of His is. Is Presently, your will be done. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what that is? That's the secret of the kingdom that the guys were learning. I just want to, at a pace, and you, want, you please forgive me for the pace because I want to download this to you now because this is a truth if you understand it will change your Christian walk. You ready? The secret of the kingdom is this, that the kingdom is about the king meet the king if you were to ask a jewish rabbi to look in rabbinical literature and ask him where does the kingdom first come in the scriptures they would point you to exodus 17 where water flowed from the rock and that passage finishes verse 1 to 7 of chapter 17 of exodus with this phrase is the lord among us or not There's a motif there that the water was representative of the presence of God flowing out from the rock. It's as if God meets needs wherever he is. It's as if God knows what the needs are. And when he breaks out, he goes around healing and doing good and healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. And providing for the poor and the sick and the broken, just as Phil read The Spirit is on me. Why? He's anointing me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who are pressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. He didn't go into the day of vengeance of our God because that's later. We might get to chapter 13 on that in Mark where he turns up to burn up. Judgment is not now. This is the year of favor. This is the year of presence. This is the part where God, the Holy Spirit, is on the earth. This is our year of opportunity. This is where you can be a channel for the presence of God. Paul the Apostle, who was a Jewish trained, are you still with me? I'm going to go on. I want to get this. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 10, speaking of water from the rock, it says this phrase, speaking of the people of Israel in the desert that had escaped out of Egypt. And they drank from the rock which accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. See, the presence of God is, is the kingdom. And where the presence of God is, the provision of the king flows out. Jesus reiterates this point in John's gospel. Isaiah speaks about it. Ezekiel speaks about it. And they all, as scripture tends to do, link together. In John chapter 4, with the woman at the well, Jesus said, if you knew who it was who asked you for a drink, love, he didn't say love, I added that bit, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Nice phrase, John. What do you mean? He clarifies in chapter 7. Living water. On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stands up and he says, Oh, you who are thirsty, come to me and drink. Interesting, Jesus. Why did you say that? Well, on this last and greatest day of the feast, the Jews would traditionally recite from Isaiah 12. They would memorialize what goes on is Ezekiel 47, where the river flows from the temple out of the rock. So they would get this water from the Gihon Spring in a golden cup, and they'd hold it up and they'd say, "Oh Lord, and recite from Isaiah 12, With joy we will draw waters from the wells of salvation. It uses the phrase, the wells of Yah. Jesus has just said, on the moment when they traditionally do that, Come to me and drink, because the wells of Yah, the water from the walk, the provision of the rock flows from the accompanying presence of Christ. Where the king is where the king is, that's where the kingdom is. And where the kingdom is, that's where the provision of the king is. Ezekiel forty seven, if you've got time to read it later, talks about an ever increasing growth and flow, and wherever the river goes, there's healing for the nations because the kingdom is amazing. Daniel chapter 7 speaks about this king who I saw one like a son of man ascended and he approached the ancients of days and him was given a kingdom and language that all nations and people should worship him. This is an international outflow from a life it echoes Isaiah 9 which speaks of this phrase an ever increasing kingdom. Why should we meditate on this because church you know what when we get it centered on the toboggan experience, this great king and focus on loving on Jesus and being real with one another and realizing we're broken vessels we're not clever Christians, we don't have clever strategies we just have an amazing God who can do more than we've ever asked or thought who can break out wherever we go through the smallest of saints start praying for the sick in your families and friends and you'll start to see people healed and it won't be because you've been behaving right that week it'll be because of God's grace and mercy and love Stop attributing your success to how well you've performed and attributing your success to his grace, his mercy, his love, his character, his provision. Where the king is, that's where his presence flows. That's where his provision flows. Jesus was very clear on this elsewhere in the Gospels. He said in Matthew twelve twenty eight, If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, the presence of God, then the kingdom has come amongst you. Jesus even puts it in that simple language. Where the spirit is, that's where the kingdom is. Clarified in in Luke 11 as being the finger of God. So whenever healing, exorcism, miraculous provision financially or otherwise. In fact, anything that centers on his will being done as the Lord's Prayer recounts. That's a kingdom outbreak. That's why in Matthew 25 Jesus said, to those who were the sheep you know on the last day where he divides people up sheep and goats goodies baddies heaven hell save us from that day Lord and the people who are the sheep, the good guys say to him Lord when did we feed the hungry now when did now Jesus said as much as you've done for the least of these people you've also done for me when, when did we feed you, Lord? When did we clothe you, Lord? When did, as much as you did for the least of these, you did to me. It's as if Jesus was present in the very practical acts of loving Christian behaviour. So God and His kingdom is in the power outbreaks, but it's also in the practical outworkings, where His will is being done and where His kingdom is coming. That is where the kingdom is. Anything that is of the kingdom is, is what we call an eschatological event. In other words, it speaks of what is not yet. It's as if heaven breaks out in earth before everything is sorted. That's chapter 13 when you get to it. I just want to encourage you to... I think I've preached long enough there, but I want to encourage you to be a person who expects more of God, to be a person who is a child of God through their faith in Christ Jesus... And is satisfied with that? Because we've lost our center. We've shifted from the most important thing in our Christian existence. So many of us are just subtly displaced by the enemy of our souls into a place of burnout, into a place of activity, in a place of, Lord, we've got to make it happen. No, only the Lord can build his church. Only the Lord can pour out grace and favor. I've spent some time with Reinhard Bonnke and, uh, a few years ago and Susa Hattington. And Susa said, when we, when we were working with them on this evangelism school, she said, don't worry about results. That's God's business. Just worry about faithfulness. That's my paraphrase. You do what you do and he'll, he'll do what only he can do. Don't read into results about being what you did. You failed, you succeeded. no. Because the Bible says in Romans 8, He predestined you to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And God is at work in you to do and to will according to His good pleasure. He is making you something, not producing something. He can do that without us. Is that right? Let's close with a scripture. 2 Corinthians 4. It's in a passage that flows from chapter 3, 7 all the way through to 4, and I won't read it all, um, verse 6. about 16 mentions of the word glory, which speaks of his presence, his kingdom, his life breaking out. And it speaks of the crowd that don't see him. It says in verse 4 of chapter 4, Some people, in their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have the secret of the kingdom. Do you know what the secret of the kingdom is? Is that Jesus is king. And we are to pursue him like the disciples and not stand at a distance being consumed with our own selfish agenda. That's why the crowd were left outside. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We want that to be more than a Sunday school prayer. Lord, we pray for Chester. We pray for an outbreak of the Holy Spirit in this city, Lord through every Christian church that proclaims Jesus Christ as Messiah and coming King. Lord, I pray that the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in this community would be unprecedented. Lord, that you would break out rivers in the desert for people to drink. Out of the rock, Lord, pour water on those who are thirsty. We come to you, Jesus, so that we might drink. Amen.